Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 2 Samuel 24, this is, uh, this is our second to last message in the series. I feel like we've been in First and Second Samuel for two years, and it's because we have. And uh, man, we started in Second Samuel back in February of this year. Of course, we finished First Samuel last year. And if you've been with us in our series, then you'll recall, really, we've traveled kind of with, uh, with Israel as their history really starts. Now, we understand uh, they have a history with Abraham and Isaac and all of that, but really a lot of, a lot of Hebrews will look to, look to David and to Saul as the start of their nation. And even though we know the nation existed before that, they'll look to that because Saul was the first king. And if you were with us in 1 Samuel, we saw Saul become first king and God would use him, but because of pride, God would remove him from being king and God would raise up a man that is titled a a man after God's own heart, the the King David, this young shepherd boy that God would take from the sheepfold to uh, to the throne room. And God would use this young man to become not only a great king, but a great warrior, a great psalmist, a great leader for the people of Israel. And so, 1 Samuel sets up the scene of David becoming king. 2 Samuel is David assuming assuming the throne. And we've been with David as he went from the sheepfold to being just a a common um, comforter to the king, playing the harp there. And then we watched him get promoted and become a great warrior for the king. But we saw because of Saul's, Saul's jealousy We saw David be pursued and Saul try to kill David multiple times. And man, David fleeing for his life. Saul dies and David finally, finally he's made king. And if you go and study out the book of 2 Samuel, man, you find that David really, his kingship started well. And his kingship started well. David, as king of Israel, man, he was making good choice after good choice after good choice, and God was working. And then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We read about David and Bathsheba. And then we go through and we see all of the effects of that and the effects with his, uh, with his children, one of them, uh, Absalom, killing another one, and We go through all of the history of David, and we aren't going to take time to recap everything, but we're coming down now to the end of David's life. That's really what 2 Samuel 24 and and 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2 record for us is the, the last few years, the last, really probably the last year of David's life. And we've seen, if you were to go and Think about David. We've seen a lot. We've seen a lot of ups and downs. We've seen David accomplish a lot. Most recently, if you were here last week, we saw David, a man coming off of a victory with the Philistines. We had our night of praise last week, and what a great night it was. And we just, we went to 2 Samuel 22 as David uh, really just exalted God and wrote a psalm of praise for all of the victory that that was done and everything that was done over the, uh, the Philistines. But tonight we come to 2 Samuel chapter number 24. As we come to the message tonight, right at the end of David's life, I got a question just to kind of 
get into it. How many of you tonight, you enjoy the winter season? You like winter. You like cold and dark and dreary and death. You like it. Uh, Man, if you think about it, Many people here uh, maybe have your reasons for enjoying the, the winter. Maybe you like the snow. Maybe you, uh, maybe you like you know, the, the Christmas season, but that's not liking winter. No, winter season, we think of winter season, I think of cold, dark, and dead. That's, why, that's what I think of when I think of winter. Why? It's, always, it's consistently cold, except for last week, right? Last week was like, what is going on with our weather? But it's consistently cold. The, the days get darker earlier, and everything dies. You watch trees die. You watch grass die. You watch plants die. It's just, to me, I hate the winter season. I hate it, number one, because anytime my wife is cold, she's just cranky. And I'm, I'm teasing. <laughs> she says, no, I'm not. No, listen, we joke, we joke around the house because neither one of us like cold. I just don't like it. I'm, I get irritated. I don't like cold. I don't like it getting dark. I don't like the fact that it gets, early, that it gets darker uh, earlier. I don't, I don't like seeing dead grass everywhere and trees that look like they belong in Whoville. You know, I don't, I don't like seeing that. Man, you know what? Everybody in winter, you know what winter people have to look forward to? Spring. Man, every one of us, every one of us, if you're a person who doesn't like winter, I mean, winter, things become dreary, dark earlier, clouds, death. But if you're a person who doesn't like winter, you know what you can consistently tell yourself? Spring is coming. Hey, spring is coming. Yeah, spring's coming. Things are going to warm up. Spring's coming. You're going to see life again. Hey, spring's coming. The days are going to start to be longer. Hey, spring is coming. And even after, after a cold, dark, dreary winter, spring is coming. Think about a fire. We live up here in Washington where there's a lot of Fires, wildfires, see a lot of that. You ever driven past somewhere that's had a wildfire? You know what you're going to find when you drive, I mean, three weeks, four weeks past somewhere that has a wildfire, you're going to find burn, you're going to find charcoal ashes. But you know, if you drive by the same spot that has the same fire the next year around, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see uh, new life. It went too fast. You're going to see new life springing up. Some of the most beautiful places that I've been to here in the Northwest are places that at one time had been decimated by fire. The fact is that a fire comes, the match is struck, uh, the fire is lit, the burning takes its course, the damage is done. But the cool thing is that life will come again. As we come back into our study tonight, we're going to see, we're going to see the dreariness of winter. We're going to see the, the uh, damage 
from a fire. Not a physical fire, not a physical winter, but we're going to see the damage caused by the fire of sin and the, 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 the coldness of sinful decisions and consequences. But the great thing that we're going to end with tonight is the fact that spring is coming. Man, there will be growth again. And I want you to see this with me tonight. And so take your Bible, if you will, and let's look to 2 Samuel chapter number 24. And I want us to see life after fire, life after death. 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse number one, notice what the word of God says. It says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them to say, go and number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, go now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba and number ye the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab, verse three, he said unto the king, now the Lord thy God add, uh, add unto the people how many soever they be an hundredfold and that the eyes of my Lord, the king may see it. But why, why doth my Lord, the king delight in this thing? Skip all the way down to the end of the chapter, all the way down to verse number 24. We're gonna tie it all together in just a second, but I just wanna read these verses as we start. Second Samuel 24, verse 24, it says that towards the end of it, David bought a threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. There's a lot of thoughts in there tonight, kind of a lot of random thoughts if you don't know the, the passage. But what we're going to see take place tonight is David once again making a poor decision. We're going to see the consequences of that decision. We're going to see the sacrifices that had to be made because of that decision. But where we're going to end tonight is looking at spring after the decision. And the principle that I want us to walk away with and the understanding that I want us to, to leave with tonight is simply this. No matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no matter what your present is, God can always work good out of it. So what I, that's, that's the base truth that we're gonna look at tonight. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you are, God can always work good out of any situation. Let's pray and then get into it tonight. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for how you used your word to help us as a church. Thank you, God, for tonight and the encouragement of seeing Jordan and his family and their desire to, um, to go reach the newbie people in Uganda. I pray that you'd help them, Lord. I pray that you'd give them uh, speed in, in uh, being able to raise their support. I pray that you'd rally people around them to encourage and help them. And Father, I pray that you would... <clears throat> Just uh, help us tonight as we look into your word. I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray, God, that you'd help us to uh, be able to connect some dots and to see the good that you can bring about in any situation. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we come to the passage tonight, I want us to have kind of a verse in the back of our mind as we work our way through the passage. And that verse is from Romans chapter 8, a familiar verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28 when it says this. That we know that all things, you know what all things means? 
It means everything. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want that verse to kind of be in the back of your mind. We'll end with that verse again tonight. But as we come to 2 Samuel chapter number 24, I want you to notice if you, I want you to notice with me, if you will, we're gonna see another sinful decision. Man, another sinful decision made by David. We read the verses a moment ago, but 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses one and two, it recounts for us the fact that David stepped out and he sinned against God by numbering the people. Now, The account of numbering the people, if you go and uh, we're going to see it in just a minute, it turns out to be a disastrous situation. It turns out to be a sin that that God uh, uh, gives a consequence for. And which knowing that it turns out to be a sin can be very confusing to us because of the way it's written in 2 Samuel. And here's what I'm talking about. Go with me if you would. Uh, back to, I gotta find it here real quick. Give me a second. Look at the first three verses. It says this. It says, then the anger of the, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. If you were to read just verse number one, uh, you would think, okay, God made, he kind of made David do this. And a little bit later, we're going to find out that David repents of this and says, God, I have sinned against you. Okay, now, if you've known the Bible or are a Bible student of anything, you know that having the mindset that God made David sin contradicts what Scripture says. Because the Bible says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So what does it mean? All right, everybody remember our phrase, context what? Context matters. We've got to know the story, but we've also got to take other references and other passages that highlight some great things for us. And we're going to look at some wording tonight, but I want you to take your Bible and go over to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter number 21, because 1 Chronicles chapter 21 kind of sheds some light for us on 2 Samuel 24. 1 Chronicles chapter number 21 notice what it says. It says this, and Satan, he stood up against Israel and he provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba, even unto Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. If we were to go to first Chronicles 21, we clearly find that Satan, he is the instigator behind sin. Now, does that line up with scripture? Yes, all of scripture teaches that Satan is the one uh, man, whether it be our, our, the world, the flesh, or the devil, we know that Satan is behind sin. Satan is the instigator. He provokes David to sin. Now, here's where we need to go back uh, to uh, 2 Samuel, all right? We're doing a little Bible study tonight. Go back to 2 Samuel verse, chapter 24 and verse 1. When it says that God moved David against them, saying, go and number Israel and Judah, notice the next word. The next word in verse number two is the word what? For. That word for right there, it means because. Here's what happened. We can gather it from the story. Here's what happened is David, David had this desire to number the people. What was David's desire? It was was a proud desire. 
Numbering the people would be setting yourself up for uh, being able to go to war and taking a census, if you will, of the population. David would do this for two reasons. Number one, to know the might of the army, but number two, just to know how great his kingdom was. I'm the king. These are all my people. Let's count them. Let's figure out how many we have here, not only to fight with, but this is just going to be a good thing. Well, the Bible helps us understand that what was going on is David, he had been provoked to do this. He had wanted to do this, but God had been kind of resisting him from doing it. Dennis, I used you this morning. I'm going to use you again. Come here. Noah, I didn't use you this morning. Come here. Actually, let's do it down here. I don't want anybody to get hurt. Actually, yeah, no, down here. Yeah, we're going to do it up here. Uh, Who wants to tackle who? You'll tackle him. He's tackling you. We're going to we're going to just just give. I want to set this up just a little bit. If Noah, Noah, I want you to tell me. I really want to tackle Dennis. Noah, I don't think that's a good idea. Okay, what am I doing? Number one, I'm standing in the way. Number two, I'm just speaking to him. I don't think that's smart. Tell me again. Noah, that's probably not the best decision. Okay, I'm still just speaking down. He doesn't want to do it. Now, I want you to try to, try to go tackle. Not, not aggressively, just a little bit. You know what I'm doing? I'm resist A little bit more, man. I'm resisting him. Okay, he wants to go tackle Dennis. I'm resisting him. Okay? <clears throat> now, here's where we need to jump back in the passage and see what it says. When it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he moved David against them, basically it's saying this, and when you go and you compare it to 1 Chronicles 21, David, David wanted, he was provoked of the devil, 1 Chronicles 21, to number the people. God was standing in the way and just saying, no, that's not smart. No, that's not smart. No, that's not smart. But it hit a point where David said, I want to do this. Now, I want you to tell me you want to do it again. You really want to? You really, really want to. I don't like the result of this, but okay. You didn't play football growing up, did you? It's all right. Thanks. You guys, no, you guys, you guys can sit down. No, Leo wants to come tackle you. He just said. Uh, does that picture make sense that there's, there's almost this inhibitor, if you will, that's, that's, that's preventing. There's a provoker behind Satan saying, no, go do it. And there's an inhibitor, one preventing God, that would be God. But here's what the Bible says that God got so mad. He got so not sinfully angry, but God was angered by the people of Israel that God finally said, fine, fine, hands off, do what you want to do. That's what's going on in verse number one. Do you know what I think? Nope, I'm gonna, I'll say that in a second. So David, what does David do? He makes a sinful decision. Man, he goes and he, he chooses to number the people. It's a sin of pride. He chooses to, uh, to count the people. And this is something that we would know from David's life. David, David was one that would, he kind of made sinful decision after sinful decision at times, didn't he? And David would be one that when he got going down the, the wrong path, you know what he would do? He just kept going down the wrong path. It's a sinful decision that David made. <clears throat> it was a temptation to be boasted upon. It was a temptation to, 
really add to his own pride. And what do we find God doing? We find God saying, okay. You know what I see, and I think we need to learn a little bit from this passage is this truth that God, God will never force us to obey and follow him. You know, God is never gonna make you choose him. Don't you wish he would sometimes? <laughs> and just take, the, just take the choice out of it. But that's not God. God says, I give you free will and I give you choice. And David was provoked by the devil to number the people. And it, from, the, from the passage, it would be that God was saying, no, David, not smart. David, not the best decision. David, don't go down that road. David, don't. But because of the people of Israel and their relationship with God and the, the uh, uh, false gods that they had and because of David's continuously wanting to go down that road, God just lifted his hands and said, fine. I don't like the result. You're not gonna like the decision. You're not gonna like the consequence, but fine. Those of you that have had small children in the house, you're gonna connect with this right away. My wife and I were talking about it yesterday and she reminded me, about childproofing your house, right? Childproofing your house. You, you go and you take out all of the, you know, your, your little one-year-old or two-year-old just starting to walk. And so what do you do? You take all the breakables and you kind of move them, you kind of move them up a couple shelves. Not us. We move things around a little bit, but you know what we kind of did? We kind of hit a point and every parent does where you're just gonna set that right in front of them and you're going to say, no. And the first few times when they're babies, you know, they reach out, they don't understand, you just, no. And you, you, you get them even before they get to it. But with every kid, with you, when you were a kid, with teenagers, with everybody, there hits a point, mom and dad, you can't make decisions for them, can you? And you want to. You want to go, no, and you want to stop and stand in their way. But at times, you know what you have to do? You, you, you say, well, I, I, don't like the con- I, don't, I don't like what's going to happen with this, but go ahead. That's what God was doing in this passage. Well, this, this is what God does. He, he allows us to make our own choice, but I want us to understand something. He doesn't allow it without giving us warnings. Go, if you will, to just a few verses later in verse number three and four. I want you to see a warning coming from an unlikely place. Verse three, and Joab, he said unto the king, now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be an hundredfold that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, The king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. This, listen, we talked about Joab a few weeks ago when we looked at David's mighty men. Joab isn't listed there. So Joab, he was a murderer. He was one of the most unlikely people to stand up for what was right. And yet, what do we find? We find Joab and the captains of the host, multiple people. What were they doing? Hey, David, this isn't smart. David, don't do this. 
You know what God does sometimes? God allows, he allows us free choice, but God is always going to bring warning into our life. Hey, don't go down that road. It might be through a friend. It might be through a a peer. It might be through somebody that's older than you, an authority figure, but God is always, and sometimes it's even unlikely people. I can recall times in my life when I had some friends who they were all in on doing crazy things all the time, and yet it would come to that one thing, and there'd be that one friend who was always on board with it that would say, you know, I don't think this is a smart idea. Listen, if that guy is the one saying it's not a smart idea, you should listen. Man, we're talking about Joab. I mean, this is the guy, he was was like, I'm going to go murder anybody. Right? You look at Joab's life, he just went around killing people he didn't like. If that guy tells you, you know, this probably isn't a smart idea, David should have said, oh, you know, you might be onto something there. But he didn't. David made this sinful choice. He makes another sinful choice, and so we notice another sad consequence. Man, you think David would have learned. You think that you and I would learn sometimes. David makes the sinful choice. We see the sad consequence in the fact that Joab, he goes out and he numbers the people. Joab brings the number back to David and notice what happens. Verse number nine. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel a hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword and men of Judah were, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men and David's heart smote him. After that, he had numbered the people, and David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, and the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. The census happens. And as soon as those numbers come back to him, David, the Bible says that David's heart smote him. That word smote, it means to strike or to punish or to wound. Basically, David felt his sin at his core. He knew his choice was sinful. He knew it was wrong. And now he was living with that regret. Don't you hate that one? Uh, I've said it before about me being the person to open mouth. I know it's hard to believe, hard to believe that my mouth would get me in trouble. Open mouth, insert foot. How many of you have the Peter syndrome? You do that. Open mouth, insert foot. My son raised his hand. Micah, all right. Me and Micah think alike. Man, you ever done that? Listen, you ever, you ever been there and, and, and you speak something and as soon as you say it, Man, you feel it right there. And you're like, oh, if I could only take it back. You ever had that happen in an action that you did? As soon as you took that action, oh, if I could only have that back. We were just at my sister's after her, bro- after her husband passed away. 
And we were there, and Dina and I, we were talking and uh, reminded of a story that I've told here before. But one night after church at Greeley, in our church in Greeley Baptist Temple in Greeley, Colorado, uh, dad had got done preaching, church was ended, everybody was gone, and we were the last ones to leave, locking up. And uh, I was playing outside, probably with Daniel Blim, and we were playing tag or something like that, and Dina was playing with us. And as a, you know, a six-year-old, when your 14-year-old sister's playing with you, it's kind of cool. And so I, was, I did not want it to stop. We're playing tag. This is fun. I'm having a good time. I don't want it to stop. And dad came out, or mom came out and said, all right, let's go get in the car. And my sister, for the first time in her life, wanted to obey. All right, she probably wanted to obey a lot more. But uh, she said, you know what? She said, mom and dad said, let's go, let's go. And I said, no, we're having fun. Let's stay. She said, yes, we are leaving. Let's go. And she grabbed my hand and started walking to the car. And I kind of resisted, a little frustrated. And she got to the car. She sat down and went to turn to put her other leg in the car. I was so mad. I took the door and I slammed it on her leg. I slammed her leg in the door as hard as I, you know, it's a six-year-old. It wasn't that hard, but as hard as I possibly could. And she, she, ah, and she jumped up and what did you do that for? And she calls me DJ. DJ, what'd you do that for? And mom and dad, well, what happened? Man, I can right now, I can close my eyes and I can remember shutting that door and then thinking, I'm a dead man. Why? Did I do that? And that was something small. We've all been there where our heart smote us. Man, you feel it in your core. You know what David does in this moment? He realizes, man, I sinned. God, I sinned against you. And God goes to the prophet and he gives David three options of punishment because with every sin comes a consequence. David, I'll give you three years of famine, three months of being defeated over and over and over again in battle, or three days of pestilence. Take your choice, David. And David, he didn't know which one to choose, and so he deferred. He said, I would just, God, I just want to fall into your hands. Well, a pestilence comes upon the land for three days and 70,000 people die. 70,000 people as a result of sin. You know, the principle that I think of when I read this story and I read this particular spot right here is this fact that sin does not only affect you, The consequence of David, it hurt all of Israel. And I know we've covered this quite a bit in our study, but it's good to be consistently reminded of the fact that sin always has a price. It does not just affect us. Sin hurts the people around us. Your sin will will at some point affect your family and friends and church. It always hurts. It may not be the result like David had and 70,000 people die, but sin always results in pain and always results in hurt. The word of God says that when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. 
death is ruin, bringeth forth. Man, we know we can go right to, uh, to scripture and understand that, that the, the result of sin is death in hell and the, the uh, deserving of being deserving of hell. But we need to understand the principle, the principle that sin always hurts. And always hurts. I see tonight another sinful decision, which brings about another sad consequence. And then we find another sacrifice made. Another sacrifice made. Skip down, if you would, to verse number 18. Verse 18, down through the end of the the chapter. It says this, And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Oranah, or Ornan, uh, as it's read in First Chronicles, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded, and Arna looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Arna uh, went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Arna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee. To build an altar unto the Lord that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arnaz said unto David, let my Lord the king take, uh, take and offer up which, what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt offering and threshing instruments and other instruments of, of, the, of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arnaz the king as a king give unto the king. And Arnaz said unto the king, the Lord thy God, accept thee. And the king said unto Arnon, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. What we read here is David had spoken to the Lord and at some point in the story, David had asked for mercy. And we read here that Gad comes and and instructs David to go up to the threshing floor of this Arnah, a king, a Jebusite king, and offer sacrifices unto the Lord. This man, Arnah or Ornan, evidently was a Jebusite, king, a ruler of some sort, still living in Jerusalem. He may have had descendants and maybe, maybe been the descendant of the, one of the last kings of the Jebusites or whatever the case is. But he goes up and he's owning this particular plot of land. Now, don't miss all of this. He's owning this particular plot of land that up until this point, up until this point, this particular plot of land was never really in the ownership of David and of Israel. It was still under this Jebusite king. David requests to, even though this king would have been a citizen of Israel, this king requested to purchase, David requested to purchase the threshing floor. He offered full market value of the land and Arnah, he declined the payment for the land and instead he said, David, I'll just give you everything. I'll give you the land. And David, I'm going to give you the tools you need for the sacrifice. I'll, I'll give you the, the actual altars. And then David, I'm even going to provide the sacrifices. And David says that famous line of scripture, I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. 
I love this king, Ornan or Aranah. He's offering to give everything to the Lord. He's offering to give everything to God. Wouldn't it be, uh, wouldn't it be good if there were some Christians that had a desire to be surrendered to God, just like Ornan the king or Arnah the king? And he, he offered to give everything. David refused and said, I'm not going to take it for nothing. And so what does David do? Well, the Bible tells us that David, 1 Chronicles 21, he bought the land. He actually bought the land for 600 shekels of gold and the 50 shekels for the oxen. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from, from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. You know, David does in this particular part of the story, David shows true repentance. David shows a true heart to say, God, I want to be completely right with you. And according to the, the, the law up to that point, David would offer sacrifice. And of course, the priest would come and offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people and all of that that would take place. And as I come to this point in the story, the principle that I'm reminded of is this, that God, he's still interested in repentance. What is repentance? Repentance says, God, I see sin the same way that you see sin. And I say the same things about sin that you say about sin. Repentance is not, hey, God, I'm sorry. I hope, I hope we're all good. God, are we, are we all good? Are we, are we tight? Are we still buddies, God? Repentance isn't, well, I just messed up. Repentance isn't, well, you know, uh, I mean, you'll sow your wild oats and then, I mean, it's okay. No, repentance says, God, I recognize that sin is wickedness in your sight. And God, I want to agree with you about sin. And I was heading in one direction with my own choices, doing my own thing. But God, I repent. I turn, I go a different direction. Now I want to say about sin what you say about sin. I want it behind me. I don't want any part of it in my life. And God forgives and stops the pestilence and stops this plague. Can I just pause very quickly and just say I love, I love the representation in 2 Samuel 24, the representation or the picture, if you will, of Jesus. David offered a sacrifice in the Old Testament. That sacrifice was a way the people showed their repentance to God and it was an acceptable offering to God. But I'm thankful that Jesus Christ came as the only acceptable sacrifice. You see, the fact is that every one of us, we're sinners. Every single one of us, we've broken God's law and we deserve hell. We deserve to pay for our own sin. But God loves you too much to leave you there. God, he came, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life and he died upon the cross for every single one of us. He died in our place as our sacrifice, as our substitute. He died taking upon himself our punishment. He died for the sin of the entire world. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, after he was buried, he rose again from the dead to prove that he was God, to prove that he could be trusted, to prove that he could conquer death. And he did all of that for you and for me. You see, my friend, we don't, 
we don't go to an, uh, 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 an altar like this to put a lamb on and to light on fire to show God our repentance. No, what we do is we come to the lamb of God, to Jesus Christ, and we humble our heart and receive him into our life. Someone maybe would ask you, do you know for sure if you died today, you're going to heaven? Listen, the only way a person can know for sure they're going to heaven is if they've come to Jesus and said, God, I see sin the same way you see sin, and I recognize that Jesus died for my sin, and I can't save myself. I can't forgive my own sin. And so God, I ask you because of Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin and be my savior and placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And I see a great picture of that here of, of the altar and the acceptance and the sacrifice. And if you're here tonight and you've never put your faith and your trust in Christ, I hope that tonight would be the night you did that. I hope tonight would be the night that you recognize I'm a sinner and I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't be made right by, to God on my own. I need Jesus Christ. But I look tonight and I see this sinful decision brings about a sad consequence. We see some sacrifices made. But tonight I wanna close by looking at this. I mean, would you say that all of that was dark? I would. Would you say that that's a winter season in David's life? And I would. Would you look at Israel, 70,000 people dying? Would you look at that and agree, be able to agree with me tonight? Man, that is a fire that has torched the land. That is, people are hurting. It is decimated. What good could come of this? That's where we come tonight and we see this last thought, and that's a supernatural result. You're there in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Go over one page to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. Don't miss this tonight. I honestly, I was gonna skip 2 Samuel 24 and go right to 1 Kings 2 because we've covered David's sin. We've covered a lot of it. I was gonna skip it until I came across this. 1 Chronicles 22, verse number one. Notice what it says. Then David said, he's at the threshing floor of Ornan, the threshing floor of this Jebusite, that he, this land that he just bought. David said this. This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. Now we would read that and say, okay, so what? What does that mean? <clears throat> well, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. We just simply need to know that this threshing floor was actually upon Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham offered Isaac and Mount Moriah is the place that God said, this place that future generations will worship me. The same place, the same threshing floor of Arnon, the king of the Jebusites that David bought, it is now what we call the Temple Mount. It's where the temple would be built. Actually, David's son would build this temple. And you wanna know what the temple is about? The temple is all about Jesus. Here's what's incredible. David sinned. It cost the people greatly. It cost David greatly. And yet God used the sin of David to bring them to this temple mount. And now for generations since then, the temple mount has been all about Jesus. 
Did you know that we, we can't get into it tonight, but if you look at the Temple Mount, everything about it points to Jesus. The temple would point to Christ. The setup of the temple would point to Jesus. The utensils that are used in the temple, they all point to Jesus. The sacrifices instructed to take place within the temple, they point to Jesus. The role of the priests in the temple, they all point to Jesus. You know what the temple was? The temple was a significant thing for the people of Israel because the temple and the worship that took place at the the temple and the sacrifices and all the utensils, it all pointed forward to the coming Messiah. And Jesus was the coming Messiah. And as we look at this, what started as an absolutely disappointing chapter and another frustrating season in the life of David ends up, ends up by the temple mount being bought. And what starts as sin ends in the purchase of something that would point to Christ. You know what this teaches me? This teaches me that spring is coming. This teaches me that there is life after fire. This teaches me that God can and will literally use anything and turn it to his glory and our good. Did you know that God can even take sinful decisions and bring about good It doesn't give us an excuse to sin, knowing that God brings about good. No, it gives us an understanding and a hope and a simple fact that no matter what stage you're in in life, maybe you're at a place where you're looking and saying, God, how did I end up here? Why why can't I ever get this right? God, why can't I do this? God, why can't, no no matter what stage you're in, if you're there at some sin that you're just repeating over and over and over again, or if you're here and you're at a place where you're just saying, God, I, I just keep trying to be faithful, but I don't feel like I ever succeed. And whatever stage of life you're in, maybe you don't know Christ as your savior, wherever you're in, listen, God can literally take any situation and bring good about. He can, he can bring life after a fire. God doesn't, I heard this a few weeks ago and I loved it. A friend of mine said it to me. God doesn't waste our trials. And God doesn't waste our trials, even when it's a trial that happened because of my own, can I say it this way? Stupid decisions. Mom and kids, don't your mom and dad won't want you using that word, but man, my own sinful decisions, they can sometimes get me to a place where I can say, God, I don't see any good that could come of this. You know what God says? God says, hey, I might use that just to point to me. I might use, I might use your trial. I will, I will. I'll use your trial for my glory and for your good. So here's a few lessons I want us to walk away with tonight. Three simple things. Number one, remember that sin always hurts. Hey, listen, sin doesn't pay. It always hurts. Number two, Remember that repentance is always good. (laughs) Hey, listen, if there's something in your life that shouldn't be there, God says, just turn back to me. Just confess it and forsake it. Sin always hurts. Repentance is always good. And lastly tonight, God can always work. That's the three truths I see from this passage. Man, sin, it's never gonna pay. Repentance is always good. But God can always work. The verse we started with, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 28. 
we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Hey, what trial are you going through in life right now that you're saying, God, I just, I just don't know. God, I don't see any, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it's your own decision that got you there. Maybe it's uh, somebody else's sinful decision. Maybe tonight would be a night when you'd say, God, help me to remember spring is coming. God, help me to see that you can always bring life after a fire. God, help me understand sin always hurts. Repentance is always good. And you can always win. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.